This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Welcome, friend, to our weekly garden party. We hope you brought along your questions because it's time to dish the dirt. On The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. And good morning and welcome along to The Garden Show with Frank Proctor in studio here at the Zoomerplex in Liberty Village in Toronto and way to the east, Prince Edward County. There she is, our little darling of the airwaves, and that would be Charlie Dobbin. Good morning, Charlie. <laughs> good morning, Frankie. You know, you would get a kick out of this uh, when I'm in, usually in the studio with you yeah. and our little theme song comes on. I always start dancing around. So here I am in my office all by myself, <laughs> dancing around to the theme music. So uh, good morning. How are you doing? Hey, not bad at all. Oh, we got the pool uh, open and in oh. business. How about good to that? hear. But, okay, there's always, there's always a, a bit of an addendum to add, isn't there? <laughs> With uh, you, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Getting in was really quick for me because the, the A-ladder <laughs> fell apart as I was entering the pool. So, Ow. yeah, I kind of dove in, you know. Oh, but it was right. very nice. We got it back together again. <laughs> and you, my friend, what's going on there? Well, 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 you know, things have been uh, ongoing. I'm so happy we've been getting some consistent rainfall. So, yeah. uh, But, of course, the weeds love all that rainfall, too. So I've been pretty much got a full-time job, both Elliot and I, weeding oh, uh, pretty much that. every day. So that's been keeping us busy. But all this nice weather, too. My basil crop is splendid. And right. I... Did a whole harvest on my basil last night. Made a big, big pot, big batch of fresh pesto. So uh, that was a delicious dinner last night. And, of course, some goes in the freezer for enjoying right. in the future. So, yeah, lots of good stuff going on that way. Um, anything new at your end besides uh, well, swimming? Well, <laughs> uh, actually, I just wanted to uh, – you had mentioned something in a little pre-chat we have by phone before coming on the air. Mm. You had mentioned something about fertilizer like no more. Right. Good point. No more. This is, we're at that magical time today. Well, today, um, I guess technically next weekend is the end of July, but this is it. The end of July is, is when we do no more fertilizing on any plants whatsoever. Mm-hmm. That includes indoor plants other than say, you know, flowering things and outdoors. We can fertilize our annuals or annual flowers, our vegetables, Herbs, if you do any fertilizing on those, even your lawn will get a fall fertilizer later. But no trees, no shrubs, none of your perennial plants should have any fertilizer added after this week. This is the end of it all. Okay. And I think maybe you might want to comment on a note that you had via email from Jeanette Mm -hmm. O'Hara. This was last week, actually, we referred to this, the Japanese beetles invading her porcelain Mm -hmm. vines, hibiscus, and other flowering plants. Apparently, uh, you'd mentioned beetle uh, gone, BTG, that can be purchased online. But she says she looked at a few sites. Company doesn't ship this product to Canada. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, so thanks for that question, Jeanette. Um, I'm sure other people out there are right now struggling with Japanese beetles and soon will be struggling with grubs in our lawns. Because remember what happens, right? The Japanese beetles who are eating everything in the garden right now will soon lay eggs. 
and then uh, they'll die. Mm-hmm. And the eggs, of course, will hatch in the next few weeks. And then we have all those baby, baby grubs eating the roots of plants, right. particular lawns. So the one thing I did find that is available in Canada, which is the exact same product, it's that Beetle Gone BTG. So BTG is that um, completely organic bacterial insecticide where we spray the plants, the plant becomes poisonous to the beetles. So the uh, Scott's company, Scott's are the people that make miracle Grow. If you go to Scott's website, you'll find something called Grub Be Gone Max. So Grub B as in Bob, just the letter B, G-O-N, Gone Max. It's a granular insecticide. <clears throat> it can be used on the lawn. It's designed to be used on the lawn for grubs but it can also be used as a liquid spray. So uh, that's what I would use. If you're, if you're just inundated with Japanese beetles, try this Grub Be Gone Max, Scott's website. Excellent. Okay, I'm, I'm sure that uh, Jeanette and others are going to be very happy to hear that. I see we've reached our point where we have to take a little bit of a break, so I don't know whether your coffee cup is full or not, but maybe time to fill that up, and we'll be back to have a word with Gail calling in from who? Uh, Blossom Lake? Blossom Lake, possibly. Well, we'll check that out. Could be Balsam Lake. We'll find out <laughs> when we talk to Gail next here on The Garden Show. Daffodils and daisies, bluebells and begonias, forsythia and foxgloves, marigolds, magnolia, lavender and lupins, dahlias, delphiniums, stalks, stalks, hollyhocks, tulips and sweet williams. You've picked the right place for everything floral. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Well, Charlie, we've floated the boat to the right uh, lake. (laughs) We understand it is Balsam Lake where Gail is calling from. Good morning, Gail. Good morning, Charlie, Frank, and my friend Bill, who's probably listening. (laughs) Oh, that's nice. Um, I have a problem with um, purple dead nettle. It creeps under the fence from a neighbor who doesn't take care of his lawn, mm-hmm. and I'm wondering what we can do to get rid of that. Hmm. Okay, so purple dead nettle is what is often commonly called. The proper name is Lamium, so L-A-M-I-U-M. So Lamium is a ground cover that grows in sun or shade, and as you point out, creeps is <laughs> quite vigorous. Um, many people will grow it in those hard, in those places where it's really hard to grow stuff, like under a spruce tree, as an example, where it often is grown. But when it's invading from the neighbors, it's a bit of a problem. Um, you, what you consider, so you've got like a wooden fence between your properties or a chain link, or what have you got? A wooden fence. How about getting, um, there's edging, it's a plastic edging, it's called hammer-in edging. And basically what you're going to do is create a wall just at a below ground level or just above, like leave the hammer in edging protruding above the, the ground by about an inch, which means you would hammer in about three inches. And that should stop it from climbing through. Um, the only, I mean, a physical barrier is, is sort of the easiest way to stop that plant from coming across because otherwise it's just an ongoing uh, issue for you to continue to pull it all the time. That's, um, it isn't hard to pull. It is shallow-rooted, but the more you pull it, the more it grows, it seems. So it's a bit challenging that way as well. Um, the other thing is just work with it and say, okay, it's kind of a pretty plant, but maybe you've got a be- you know, garden on the- your side that you sure don't want lamium growing into. And so can we kill it, um, the stuff that's on our side? It's just taking over the whole grass. Well, technically, the only way you can kill it is by suffocating it or by pulling it. Okay. By law. 
you can break the rules and buy Roundup because Roundup is available for noxious weeds. Noxious weeds include weeds like poison ivy. Dead nettle or lamium is not technically, I don't think, considered not a noxious weed, though I could be wrong because they change the, uh, the list of what's noxious all the time. You can look it up if you want on the province of Ontario Ministry of Agriculture uh, noxious weed list. And then by law, you can use Roundup on it, and that will kill it for sure. Oh, thank you so much. Okay, you're very welcome. Good luck. Thank you. Thank you. Matter of fact, when uh, the lady first started talking about the problem uh, and saying uh, she's wondering how she can get rid of it, I didn't know whether she referred to the plant or the neighbor next door, who, <laughs> who was a bit of a problem there. Hmm. Yeah. Well, let me let me delve into uh, an email here from uh-huh. Sarah Dugan. Uh, uh-huh. To prune or not to prune baby locust tree says, hello, I'm on the... Oh, and this is an international uh, uh-huh. note, I'll tell you. She is an hour south of Denver, Colorado, on the eastern side of the Rockies, Zone 5B, and goes on to say, we cut down a dying locust tree a couple of years ago. This baby locust sprouted up near the stump. It's very bushy, and I'm wondering if I need to prune it. If I can get away with not pruning it, I'd like to see what happens. Is pruning good for the tree health? This is my main concern. Hmm. Um, the tree is near bird feeders, may be good for bird cover either way. And the, she's in close, uh, included some photos for you to take a look at there. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's not that much. Well, yeah, it's coming up. So, okay, here's the bottom line. So she said she's concerned. She wants the tree to be healthy, yep. and she wants to maintain beneficial plants for, you know, wildlife, birds, mm-hmm. insects, etc. She's obviously um, a person who really loves to support um, beneficial native plants for, you know, biodiversity of uh, all the creatures in our, in our garden. So I love locust plants, mm-hmm. locust trees. Now, what you've got growing right now is a bush, so it's a multi-stemmed plant. Uh, they are thorny, so you do have to be careful when you're handling this plant. If you want a tree, you're going to have to train it to a tree. You're going to have to choose the most straight stem out of all those stems that are coming up at ground level. The straightest one you will leave. The rest you will prune out at ground level. And uh, I'll keep an eye for the first few years. You might get more suckers growing up off the roots. We'll always remove those. It, locusts are an excellent native tree. Uh, they have small, you know, small leaves. Uh, they, the, the fruit are legumes, like it's a legume, so the fruit are pods. And uh, you get nice dappled shade beneath them. They do get very large. Make sure you've got room for it to be as much as 80 feet tall and 30 feet wide eventually. And remember as well that locust trees, this is not honey locust, but locust trees are very poisonous So from, for us. So don't be chewing on your locust tree whatsoever. The flowers are not poisonous, but the rest of the plant is. So, um, yeah, no, I would, I would, I love the bark. As they get old, they have the best bark. So let it grow as a tree. All you need to do is, is start it with a single stem and then stay on top of making sure it's got good side branching all around, 360 degree branching and thin as necessary. You don't want any branches growing to the inside of a tree because then the whole thing uh, really starts to get into trouble rubbing against itself. Okay, well, thanks for reaching out or reaching up all the way across the border for the answer to that. Uh, Charlie, we are up to our next little break here, but we'll be back to say hi to, uh, let's see, it's uh, Alan in, uh, or Ellen, that is, in Brentford. And just a moment here on The Garden Show. 
change stations just because the weather changes. Garden tips and advice all year round. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Well, Charlie, as promised, let's check in with a listener from Brantford. Ellen on the line. Good morning, Ellen. Good morning. 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 I have a question about uh, hydrangea. It's proven winners. I think it was called strawberry vanilla. And every mm-hmm. year it's been beautiful pink with white tips. And this year it's all white. Mm. Oh. And I just wondered what I should do or by pruning it last year maybe made that happen. No, no. Uh, it's a good plant to prune. You can prune in the fall or the spring. Um, it's, you know what? It, it will turn strawberry. Just give it some time. It, I think you're right. What brings on the strawberry is usually environmental. So they always start with white flowers, but we've had so much rain. It might be that it's just so happy it hasn't turned pink yet. Uh, it could be that it's not as hot, so it hasn't turned pink yet. Uh, it could be that it's you know, like it's anything like that to be just keeping it white. But give it time; it will give you your pink tips imminently, and then you're going to enjoy it. It's a great plant. It just blooms nonstop, right? It's like mid-July right through to frost. Yes. Well, thank you very much for that. Okay. You're very welcome. Thank you for joining us here on the uh, Garden Show from Zoomer Radio. Uh, Here's a little note that maybe will apply to a lot of folks uh, from uh, Vera Kern. She says, hi, Charlie. Listen to you most Saturdays. I've enjoyed your program. Uh, You can see, so obviously she sent a photo, forget-me-nots from my garden. They've crossed over onto my lawn. I did sow a lot of white clover, which is coming up nicely. Will the clover, however, take over the forget-me-nots? And if not, what can I do to get the uh, forget-me-nots out of the lawn? Hmm. Yeah, that can be a challenge. Uh, Good question. I think that the clover will probably take over the forget-me-nots. But it is worth remembering that forget-me-nots are biennial. Mm -hmm. So a biennial is a plant that lives for two years. So the first year, it grows up from seed. The first year is little green fuzzy leaves. Uh, And then that dies down in the winter. The next year, the little green fuzzy leaves come up again, and then we get the blue flowers. Those blue flowers, if left untouched, will go to seed and will spread seeds some more, and then those plants will die after they've spread a bunch of seeds. So what I would do is you can get down on your hands and knees and start pulling forget-me-nots. They are easy to pull. They're very shallow-rooted. But you could also just keep an eye next spring for whoever starts flowering, and do not let any of those plants go to seed. So enjoy the flowers, and then, uh, but as the, you know, the, you're going to see them very obviously. Get out your whippersnipper or get down on your hands and knees and pull out any forget me nots that have flowers on them. And that way you're going to eliminate the next generation. You're going to have to do that for a couple of weeks next spring, but it should, you should be able to eliminate the problem fairly easily. Okay. Uh, let's find out what's going on in Mary's backyard, maybe just around the corner right here in Toronto. She's on the line next. Good morning, Mary. Good morning to both of you. Um, Charlie, I have an odd question regarding amaryllis. Mm-hmm. People have given them to me. I bought them myself, various colors, mostly red. Mm-hmm. But I've had them by now. I have about 11 or so, mm-hmm. way too many. <clears throat> and last year, I, what I do is when they flower, I put them outside, sort of shaded mm-hmm. until it gets pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Long story short... Mm-hmm. I know what you're going to say. Only about one or two flowered last year oh, or okay. the year before. They grow green leaves. Last year, I listened to you a lot. So what I did 
is late October or whenever. Mm-hmm. I cut all the leaves off, put them down into the crawl space in the basement, which is cool. Mm-hmm. But I might have brought them up too early to put outside. And what's happened is on, well, there's only probably about two or three mm-hmm. that still have a leaf or two or a couple of leaf couple of leaves, one that lost them all over the last month or so, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, there's a new leaf coming up. So at mm-hmm. this point, shall I just put them in hibernate? I don't know what to do. Okay. I'm so, giving them one more year to flower. <laughs> okay. So, but when you said uh, you put them down in the crawl space in October, and then you brought them up and took them straight outside. So you brought them up in May or June? Um, probably in June, I would guess. Like early June, I might have done it then. Okay, so amaryllis is uh, originally native to South Africa. So you have to think everything backwards because it's the southern latitudes. So summer in South Africa is our winter, which is why they bloom in our winter. So, for example, my amaryllis are sitting outside right now. They're in their original pots. I don't plant them in the garden. I just leave them in their pots. They're getting an eastern location, so morning sun. I throw a little water on them every week or so. I basically ignore them, and they just sit there all summer. And they will stay out until probably September. In September, I'll take all my pots of amaryllis. I don't cut the leaves off. I just take them with the green leaves. They're just covered in green leaves. Down into my basement, you know, cool, dark spot. Put them away. Let those leaves turn yellow. They will just, no water, dark Leaves will turn yellow, let them sit there. And what I found last year is if I just let them sit there and check them starting around, you know, so they're down in September, check them October, November, December, take a look. Flowers will, the little flower will start to poke up all by itself in the dark with no water. And that's what I did. That's when I actually started bringing them upstairs is when they started to show the flower buds poking up. So I had them blooming, not necessarily well, no, I had one or two blooming at Christmas, but I had them blooming through January as well. well and yeah. once they bloom, enjoy the blooms. That's inside in the winter, usually. Once the blooms are done, finished, cut off the bloom, but let the leaves grow. You've got to let those leaves grow all winter, all spring, all summer. And okay. then just force them to go to sleep by stop watering and putting them in the dark. But, Charlie, I've, I did that. I've mm-hmm. done it over the three, four years prior to last year, mm-hmm. brought them down with their green leaves. It's actually my crawl space. It's mm-hmm. cool, and I have, you know, I put my tomatoes and potatoes and stuff there. Mm-hmm. So off, And it is very cool in there. But I'm often, like, you know, maybe a few times a day, maybe not that often, but I open the door so light gets in. Mm, but over the previous years, those green leaves never turned yellow, and oh. I didn't water them. But they just kept growing and they kept staying green. Wow, so it's not as dark as we might think. Um, so, yeah, as long as you're not watering them, just, yeah, really, it's funny. So there is light getting in there, so the leaves are staying green. You're right. I mean, you can always cut the leaves off. You basically just want the plants to go to sleep. So if it comes down to it, like for now, um, just do what you can to, to maintain green leaves now during this season because the green leaves are what fattens the bulb up. You're right. The green leaves are photosynthesizing, fattening the bulb so that you've got great flowers six months from now. Um, so whatever you can do to maintain green leaves now. And then, yeah, you're right. If it's just a question of cut off the leaves, stick them in the crawl space just as it's getting cool. So September usually. 
leaves, cut off leaves, no water. Uh, maybe it, if you've got all these tomatoes and potatoes down there, it might be quite humid down there. Like you want them in a fairly dry spot. They don't even need cool. They just need dark and dry. Okay. Well, what do I do with the amaryllis that over the last month or so, like about at least nine or ten of the pots, the leaves have turned yellow and the, or the leaves have just decided to die. So right. there are no leaves. It's just oh. the bulb in their the, pots. What do so I do with those? That's, what the, I, that's the, my question. Sure. What am I so going to do? Feel the bulbs. If the bulbs are soft and mushy, they are compost. Uh, so it could be they've sat in water. Like they should have green leaves. So something made them drop their leaves. Uh, so they could have been oh, like out in the rain. Uh, I'm not sure. But uh, it is possible that the bulbs are toast because they've turned to mush from too much water. Otherwise, they would have green leaves on them. So that would be my first suggestion. Feel the bulbs. They're firm bulbs and they're not mush, but they have no leaves. Do I well, still leave, maybe leave bring my- them out where they get a little bit more sun? Yeah, and, and water a bit. Like, make sure that they're watered, but they're not sitting in water. Yeah, I, I'm very careful with that. Okay, good. Okay, well, All thank right, you. Let so us much. know how that works out. Okay. Thank, thank you very much for the call, and I hope that helps you out uh, as we progress through this Saturday morning. Cloudy one, by the way, in Toronto. Um, I have a note here from Barbara Lawson that includes some information that I want you to expand on a location. Uh, and you'll pick it up right away, okay, Charlie? Okay. Uh, this is from uh, Barbara Lawson. It says, uh, Hi, Charlie. I've enjoyed your program very much. Uh, love some advice on my new peony. I planted my new peony called, I believe it's Itch or Ito. Ito, yeah. Ito, okay. And, and she purchased it at the wonderful Whistling Gardens near Ancaster. She says it bloomed this year with five gorgeous flowers, and two days later, there was rainy windstorm, and all the blooms were gone. Living in the Escarbon near to St. David's in the Niagara region. And as you can see from the photos, there are big pods that have stayed in place. Usually trim my regular peonies back as the greenery dies back. Do I just cut off the pods with the faded greenery in September as usual? Or are they involved in feeding the blooms for next year? Maybe leave them on. (laughs) Golly. Golly is right. So thank you for your note, Barbara Lawson. Uh, and thank you for your photos. They look gorgeous. I, I, I'll tell you at the end why this is such a great email. But yeah. for starters, what is an Itto per, uh, peony? An Itto is a cross. So it's a hybridized cross, like a selected two different kinds of peonies were put together to create the Itto peonies. So we've got our regular herbaceous peonies. All of us love them. They're fragrant. They grow up in the spring. They bloom. They die down in the winter. And then others of us have other peonies called tree peonies. So they are like little miniature trees. They, they're woody plants. They, same thing, bloom in the, in the early summer, but don't die down in the winter. So they've got that woody structure above ground all winter. So an itto peony is a cross between a tree peony and a herbaceous peony. It's considered an intersectional peony. So that's pretty cool because the itto peonies have some of the benefits of both. So just like tree peonies, the ittos have long-lasting blooms. They're on strong stems. You don't need to stake them whatsoever. They have beautiful dark green foliage, which lasts really true till autumn. Um, in general, the itto peonies and all peonies want a little bit of shade, lots of sun, but a little bit of shade is best to prolong the blooms. And what's cool about the ittos is you'll get two blooms. 
And in the photos that Barbara sent, that's what she's talking about. So she's got flowers on those plants, but she's got the the blooms from prior. She's got the little seed heads hanging there. So absolutely, yes, dead head to seed heads. You don't want them. Just cut them back to the nearest leaf. Enjoy the plant. Again, you're going to, those second set of flowers are going to be done. Dead head, take them back to the first leaf. And then um, enjoy them in the autumn. Uh, you can cut those plants right down. Peonies, like just like the herbaceous peonies, mm-hmm. we cut them down in the fall, down to four to six inches tall after a good hard frost. And uh, enjoy them. I mean, it's a great plant. And it's interesting, you said you pick them up at Whistling Gardens, which is exactly where I'm going. Um, I'm actually going to Brantford tomorrow, Sunday, and I'll be in Whistling Gardens Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, taping another episode of Healing Garden. Oh, great. That's super. So, yes, indeed. I'm looking forward. I've been there before, but Darren and his wife uh, will be hosting us and showing us all kinds of neat uh, aspects of their gardens, including uh, a labyrinth. So walking a labyrinth to de-stress watching dancing fountains to uh, work on sort of wellness therapies. And, um, yeah, I'm quite excited. And I just might pick up a little Itto peony for myself while I'm there. <laughs> good, good for you. Okay, well, thank you very much. Uh, waiting on line is uh, Catherine from uh, Waterloo. Let's check in and see what's going on there. Good morning, Catherine. Yes, good morning, Frank. And, oh, here, let me turn on. Good morning. Good morning, Charlie. Uh, yeah, yeah, a question about uh, tomato plants that I have in uh, potted potted uh, plants. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I can't do gardening out in the backyard. They've been uh, green. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know. No flowers? They've been green for like at least three weeks. Mm-hmm. Do I leave them on the plant? Oh, green tomatoes? Yes. Absolutely, yes. Or they I... will turn red. Just give them a chance. Are they getting lots of sunlight? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They, yeah, they will turn red. Sometimes it just takes a while. Avoid fertilizer, unless you've got some special tomato food that you're using. Don't use any regular fertilizer. Uh, and as Frank says, make sure they're in lots of sun. Mm-hmm. And make sure if they're in pots that you're checking every single day. You probably have to water them every single day uh, unless we get rain. Just because tomatoes do become fairly big plants and they do love a fair amount of moisture. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like consistent moisture. But, yeah, be patient. Be patient. They will turn <laughs> orange. They will turn red. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I thought if I picked them, more no. would grow or... Not necessarily. The little yellow flowers shows you where more will grow. Uh, so just let the fruit be green, and it will slowly turn. You know, they might be, some of them are, are like, big. the bigger the tomato usually, the longer they take to harvest time. So they could be beef steaks or something like that. And, and make sure, yeah, that sometimes as we get later in the season, like late August, we'll start removing some leaves to help make sure that the sun is getting through to the fruit. But for now, I would generally just leave them alone, make sure they don't suffer for lack of water. Okay. Thank you very much. Uh, A phrase comes to mind, Charlie, that my mother used to use all the time. Patience is a virtue. Yeah. (laughs) And I hate hearing that. I I bet, but so much of gardening is exactly that, patience. Right. Note uh, from 
Let's see. Oh, golly. You know what? I'm going to read a note from Karen, uh, Karen Whittington in mm-hmm. just a moment, but we are up to our next break. So let's take that right now. Refill your coffee cup. I'll try and slurp down the rest of mine. And we'll be back at it here on The Garden Show from Zoomer Radio. Fur and feathers and bugs of all size. There's more going on in the garden than you realize. Should small creatures become a big problem, then you've got The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Exclusively on Zoomer Radio. All righty, Charlie, I'm going to read an email here from Karen Whittington that has me a little flummoxed, so you can help straighten me out. Uh, It says, good day. This is the first bloom year for these white heirloom hollyhocks. I harvested the original seeds years ago while visiting my great-grandfather's Old Baron's Alberta homestead. That's kind of neat. The present owners told me they were the original to the first owners, which would have that family back around 1918. And uh, it goes on to say, I've had this happen with previous hollyhocks. Also, there are no others close by this location. So do not think it's spread from any, I I presume, any others other than Mm -hmm. that. Um, I'd like to know for next year how to prevent it. Mm -hmm. Hmm. And Mm -hmm. so that's from Karen, Lakeshore West of Dunville. Right. So, okay, I'm not sure if you looked at the pictures, Frank, but she's showing pictures of the leaves with little spots on them, and they're rust-colored or orange. And that is a very common fungal disease of hollyhocks, and it's actually called hollyhock rust. So uh, where does it come from? It could have blown in from some hollyhock somewhere. It also could be just lying dormant in the soil, and as soon as there's hollyhocks available, it attacks. The things that will contribute to hollyhock rust include high temperatures, humidity, high humidity. Um, do everything you can to avoid that, that rust by uh, remove and uh, dispose of leaves immediately when you start to see the spots. Mm-hmm. Make sure you've got good air circulation, full sun, so lots of good sun, lots of good air will minimize the fungus. Mulch on the surface of the soil will also minimize the spread. Because, again, fungal diseases so often, it's, it's little tiny, tiny microscopic spores that are sitting in the soil that splash up onto the plant when it rains or when we irrigate. When you water, avoid wetting the leaves. Just water the soil. Uh, remember to cut down your hollyhocks at the end of the season. Don't compost what you've got there. Don't keep it on the property. Either burn what you cut down or dispose into the landfill. You, you can use fungicides, but most people don't because it's just, it, it's just an annual occurrence. Uh, it's so environmental, very much dependent on the kind of weather we're having in the spring and summer. What I have done when I've had hollyhocks, because I love them, and I can see they're very beautiful at your place, I plant something in front of the hollyhocks that will grow yeah, two feet tall, 18 inches tall, and when it grows up, like it could be something simple like, could be, well, flocks can get a bit tall, but a, you know, a shorter version of a phlox, a penstemon, something that will grow up, even a small shrub, so that you enjoy the flowers that are three, four, three feet plus tall, but you don't even see the leaves because the leaves look like somebody's been shooting a shotgun and they're just full of holes and uh, not pretty at all and very, yeah, very unattractive. But don't try and beat that disease. Just try and work with it would be my suggestion. Very good. Okay. Um, online from Etobicoke, Sandra, set for the next question for you. Charlie, good morning. Sandra? Hello. Morning. Yeah, oh, hi, good Sandra. morning, Charlie. Good morning, Frank. Um, 
I've been growing tomatoes in pots for the first time. We are changing our vegetable garden, and um, it's just not able to have them in the ground anymore. I'm having mm. a problem with blossom end rot for the first time. Mm. It's a yellow tomato. It's a low acid. It doesn't have a variety name, mm. and they're in 10-inch pots. Mm. I've been watering them every day because I've heard that pots need mm. much more water. Mm. Is it possible I've given them too much water? Well, I assume the pots have drainage holes. Oh, yes, and I actually raised the pots up on little clay feet. Okay. So when they drain, they mm-hmm. won't be sitting in water. Um, mm-hmm. They are in full sun. Mm-hmm. They've had a tomato fertilizer. I think it might have been a bit low on calcium, so I gave them hen manure this morning. Um, and I really, there were four beautiful yellow ones just about mm-hmm. ready to pick, and this blossom end rot. Right. So for people who are listening, <clears throat> blossom end rot is a, um, it's actually a, a syndrome that happens to the fruits of tomatoes uh, and makes them completely <clears throat> inedible. <clears throat> Not only are they ugly, but they don't taste good. So they're okay. compost. So, you so, can't why, eat them. Yeah, so why do we get blossom end rot? You're right, the calcium question and the, the suggestion that insufficient calcium leads to uh, blossom end rot has been the traditional uh, belief around where that comes from. But further science and further research has indicated that it's not so much the lack of calcium, it's the lack of consistent water. And in the pots, I imagine you used a, a potting mix of some kind for your tomatoes in the pots? Yes, brand new potting soil, and I, I was watering them every morning around 8 o'clock before the sun got onto them. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and when you were watering, did they? Did you ever try sealing the soil before you water? Like, did it feel dry to your touch, or was the pot quite light? Like, did it feel quite light? To be honest, the growth is so huge that it's hard even to get in there. I have to use the long spout watering can to even get the water into them. Right. It's pretty so, hard to get my hand in there and feel the soil. Yeah. So I'm growing tomatoes in pots myself, but to tell you that you're in a 10-inch pot, I'm in about a 20-inch pot with one tomato per pot. The bigger the pot, the better your chance of maintaining moisture around the roots. Mm-hmm. And as you probably recognize, the container mixes are soilless mixes. They're peat-based, and they are designed to uh, to do very good drainage. They drain well and what I did when I planted my tomatoes, I actually mixed triple mix in with my potting mix to help maintain moisture in the... So I think you're, you, you may be, like you said, they're huge plants in only 10-inch pots. I would get some saucers. I'd get them, take the seed away. If you've got some saucers, you can put under those pots. When you water, water till the water runs through the drainage holes into the saucers, and then keep an eye. See how long it takes for the water to absorb back up into the pots. You may need to water twice a day, is all, is all I'm thinking. Uh, it, you, it's lack of water or lack of consistent water that's causing the blossom end rot. So you've got to do whatever you can to get consistent water happening more, you know, 24 hours a day rather than just 12 hours a day. So maybe I need to water it first thing in the morning and then in the evening, sort of mm-hmm. when the sun is off them again. Yeah, and I, you only really know that if you can get your fingers in there, feel the soil, or get a moisture meter, you know, one of those little probes. Mm-hmm. Stick that into the soil and, and read what it says for uh, moisture levels in the soil. But it is lack of consistent water that leads to blossom end rot. Okay, th- thank you, Charlie.
Thank Thanks you very for calling. much for calling. Yeah, be okay. part of the show here, the show being the Garden Show. And uh, as a matter of fact, they're going to come back and read an email for Ingrid Uberhagen, uh, who has a, a little bit of a problem with the plant that maybe you can help with. I hope so, Charlie. Back in a moment here on Zoomer Radio. Daffodils and daisies, bluebells and begonias, forsythia and foxgloves, marigolds, magnolia, lavender and lupins, dahlias, delphiniums, stalks, fox, hollyhocks, tulips and sweet williams. You've picked the right place for everything floral. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Alrighty, Charlie, a note from Ingrid Uberhagen, uh, who loves the show. She says... Um, here's a new one. I love herbaceous uh, plants and have them every summer on the balcony. Familiar with white flies, but that's the only pest I've had to deal with. This one stumps me. Beautiful bug-free when I got it. Now a few weeks later, something is chomping on very tender young leaves. Can't see the culprits, but they're doing a good job. She's on a balcony. I would say a giraffe maybe is. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I don't good know. Did, Frank, you know, uh, that's great. I'm, you know, you, that's good. That's probably the right answer. <laughs> <laughs> Did she send you a picture? Huh? No. No, and it's not a giraffe. Because <laughs> <laughs> I don't think, she doesn't tell us how high her balcony is. But nevertheless, she's writing us from Scarborough. I think, I could be wrong, Ingrid, but I think you've got Japanese beetles flitting through. Ooh. They fly, right? They're beetles right. with wings. They fly through. They'll eat anything, and then they'll fly on. They're slow-moving. They're very pretty. People say, what do they look like? They look like a piece of jewelry. A Japanese beetle is a very pretty pretty bug. Mm-hmm. It's got copper, shiny uh, sheen to it. It also has a blue-green, beautiful shine. It's, it's actually like a very jewel-like beetle. So keep your eyes peeled. You know what you could do? Get some cheesecloth. Um, or something like that, a little bit of netting, yep. and, and see if you can put that, like, really study the plant, make sure it's clean, clean, no, no living things on it, and then drape it with something like netting and see if that will make a difference. I don't know how big this hibiscus is, how doable that is, but uh, that's what I would do. Um, remember as well, I did mention it earlier in the show, Japanese beetles can be controlled with a Scots product called Grub be gone g-o-n max grub be gone max it is 1.4 kilograms which is far more than uh um, ingrid would ever want to buy for one plant it is a granular insecticide so i use some some kind of a barrier method of controlling the bugs on that plant rather than trying to spray it you got it. Okay. Sage advice once again from Charlie Dobbin. Hey, and watch for giraffes. <laughs> we're, uh, we're heading out to uh, Mississauga. Hazel on the line. Good morning, Hazel. To both of you. Morning. Uh, two or three weeks ago, Charlie, you sent, I sent you an email with a photograph of a mystery plant, and uh, you identified it as Batabur and told me to get rid of it immediately. Which I did, but I noticed little ones are coming up and I keep pulling those out. My question is, how can I make sure it doesn't come back next year? Hmm. <coughs> Boy. Question. Yeah. That's tough. Um, if it's, it's coming up from the root, obviously, can you dig the root out? I, I tried to do that, and I thought I got the, the roots, because they were long, white roots. 
mm-hmm. and um, I got they came up quite easily, but I do notice little ones are popping up now, and I keep pulling them out. But I'm wondering, I don't want them to come back next year. Mm-hmm. Right. So um, butterbur is actually it's um. Pedicetes is the proper name, or colt's foot is often what's referred to as well. So the thing is, they are perennial plants, and they have thick, creeping underground rhizomes and large rhubarb-like leaves during the growing season. So you are going to need to dig deeper or get somebody to dig deeper for you. Okay. Yeah, so I'm just- not... I'm not getting the entire root, or I haven't I think, gotten the entire root. Exactly. I think you're just getting some of the some of the shallow roots. Uh, yeah, I mean, it is. It's got a long history of medicinal uses for hair loss and migraine headaches and all kinds of things. But um, uh, you know, it's not something that you necessarily want to grow at your place. No, it don't. took over. It, well, an yeah. area. It's like a four foot area that it took over, and the leaves mm. became the size of dinner plates. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah. yeah. So that's the thing. Like they, they uh, you, you want to get rid of it. it. I mean, remember, we can always. One of the ways, if we can't dig a plant out and we wanted to annihilate it, is to uh, we could call solarizing, where you just get a big enough piece of tarpaulin. You know, something that water cannot get through, sun cannot get through, big piece of plastic, basically. Put it over top of the ground mm-hmm. where you know those roots are after you've cut everything down to ground level. Rocks all the way around the plastic tarpaulin, and, you know, no light, no water getting in underneath. Those roots will die eventually. It's just going to take some time. Okay, I was wondering if that would work. Yeah, it will. But, it, you know, even if you did it today, you're going to have to leave that tarpaulin in place till probably next summer. Like, it's going to take a while. Time what consuming, if I did yeah. it in the fall, would that yeah. be good enough to, so Maybe, that I could but, plant there next spring? No, you know, it won't die over the winter. You need that hot summer. You need that growing season where it can't grow. Oh, I see. Right? So, yeah, it's going to take some time. That's that's tough news, Hazel. Yeah. I'm sorry to say, it sounds sounds like a real toughie you got there. And digging it out uh, with the help of somebody else maybe might be the only answer. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got one final call. We can squeeze in just before the show comes to a, a decided crash. <laughs> John? No. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm kidding. John is online from Mississauga. Good morning, John. Good morning, Charlie. Good morning, Frank. Thanks for taking me in. I, I know it's quick. Um, my wife has, um, she got a present uh, plant, a hydrangea, mm-hmm. and uh, it was white, now it's turning a little bit green, the flowers, there maybe mm-hmm. four flowers. It's, I think it's on an 18-inch pot, Charlie. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I like to keep it inside. What can I do about it, please? Oh, well, I doubt it's for inside. No, do you have any idea what kind of hydrangea it is? No, I don't. I don't, Charlie. I'm Does sorry. Does it look like one of those florist hydrangeas it's got round flowers? Yes, yes. Hmm. It won't last forever outside. You, if you want to keep that plant, I would get it out into the garden, enjoy it for the summer. It will die down in the winter, and it should come back next spring. Oh, okay. Whereas okay. bringing it so inside... Shall I, uh, shall I transplant it now, sort of? Sure, you can. If you're not going on holidays, you Transplant it now in water as required for the rest of the season. If you want to keep it inside, that's fine. But once it stops flowering, it, it'll be compost. You won't get it to bloom again indoors. Oh, okay. 
Okay. Hey, thanks, Charlie. Have a good weekend, Frank. And have a good weekend, Charlie. Thank you Thank very you. much, John. You too. All the very best, and all the very best to all the callers this morning. Boy, some really interesting and intriguing questions you've had to deal with this morning. I know, I, and I love the giraffe uh, suggestion as the best way to, to explain. <laughs> What's getting at that thing on the balcony? Yeah, Gosh. that's a good point. So anyway, thank you, Frankie. Enjoy your pool. I yeah. hope the ladder is more solid. Well, we'll get, we'll get that A-frame done right, I guess. <laughs> oh, I hope so. And, uh, and yes, I'm off to Brantford, off to Whistling Gardens this week, and uh, I'll be back doing the show with you next week. So uh, I'll have lots to report on the latest episode of Healing Gardens, still in production by Zoomer Media, and will be seen on Vision TV this time next year. Great Thanks, stuff. everybody. See you again next week. This has been an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.